Saluten from TV Double. This is Rorschach multilateral update from the 14th of November 2023, a summary of what's going down in the world's major multilateral institutions. NATO has strongly condemned Russia's pulling out from the Treaty on Conventional Armed Forces in Europe, or CFE, a significant agreement signed back in 1990. The aim of the treaty is to limit the deployment of conventional military forces in Europe, thereby promoting stability and peace on the continent. Moscow cited concerns over NATO's expansion, particularly its engagement with Finland and Sweden. In response to Russia's withdrawal, NATO has chosen to suspend the CFE treaty, signaling its disapproval of Russia's actions and its ongoing aggressive behavior in Ukraine. This development impacts the ever-evolving European security landscape and underscores the intricate nature of the Russian-NATO relationship. Moreover, it highlights broader concerns about regional stability, particularly as NATO and Russia continue to navigate their differences. Speaking about Russia, Russian judge Kirill Deborgian, who has served on the International Court of Justice, or ICJ, since 2015, failed to secure re-election. This is the first time since the ICJ's establishment in 1946 that the court hasn't had a representative from Russia or its predecessor, the USSR. Judge Deborgian has also held the position of ICJ's vice president since 2021. The newly elected judges to the ICJ include Bodgan Lushan Aureșcu from Romania, Sarah Hall Cleveland from the United States, Juan Manuel Gomez Robledo Berduzco from Mexico, Dior Plady from South Africa, and Hillary Charlesworth from Australia, who successfully secured her re-election. This development underscores shifts in the international representation within the ICJ and raises questions about potential implications for the court's future proceedings and decisions. The World Health Organization, or WHO, has issued a deeply concerning report revealing that, on average, a child is tragically killed every 10 minutes in the Gaza Strip. This grim statistic underscores the dire humanitarian crisis unfolding in the region. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, WHO Director General, conveyed disalarming information to the United Nations Security Council, painting a harrowing picture of the Hazza healthcare system. Shockingly, approximately half of Gaza's hospitals and two-thirds of its primary healthcare centers are no longer operational, and those still in service are overwhelmed beyond their capacities. The Gaza Strip has endured an unrelenting military campaign, resulting in the loss of over 11,000 Palestinian lives and tens of thousands of injuries. These casualties have occurred since the onset of the conflict, further exacerbated by Israel's blockade, which restricts the entry of vital medical supplies, fuel, water, and food. Adanam Gavriesus urgently called for the protection of civilian and humanitarian facilities, stressing the imperative need for international action to address the dire humanitarian circumstances prevailing in Gaza. An additional estimated 1,200 Israelis lost their lives during the current conflict. Going back to the Eastern European Front, the International Monetary Fund, or IMF, has successfully reached an agreement with Ukrainian officials on an updated set of economic and financial policies. These policies are integral to the second review of Ukraine's four-year extended fund facility program, which, upon approval by the IMF board, will unlock $900 million in funding. The IMF has acknowledged Ukraine's economic resilience with stronger-than-anticipated recovery throughout 2023 and a continued, albeit more subdued, growth outlook for 2024. However, the situation remains extremely uncertain due to ongoing war-related concerns.
This financial support assumes paramount importance as Ukraine grapples with various economic challenges while working to stabilize its economy. In the same context, in a bid to aid Ukraine's agricultural sector, the World Bank has stepped forward with a $700 million loan that will be dispersed throughout 2023 and 2024. This preferential loan aims to offer affordable financing solutions to farmers engaged in agricultural production and food processing. It also includes grants designated for small agricultural producers involved in cattle, goat, or sheep farming. According to Ukrainian authorities, the country's war with Russia has severely impacted the agricultural sector, which contributes approximately 10% to the nation's GDP, resulting in direct losses exceeding $8.7 billion. The goal of this financial aid is to bolster the sector's recovery and enhance its resilience in the face of adversity. In Asia, Japan is strategically planning to allocate approximately 10 billion yen, approximately $86 million, to support an association of Southeast Asian nations or Asian-related research institutions. This move is part of Japan's broader efforts to expand regional cooperation, fostering stronger ties with developing and emerging nations in what is often referred to as the, quote, global south, end of quote. It is also seen as a measure to counterbalance China's growing influence in region. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida is expected to officially announce the substantial contribution in a special summit between Japan and the Asians scheduled for December. The funding will facilitate various initiatives, including the coordination of funds for entrepreneurs and researchers, the establishment of an, quote, Asia Zero Missions, end of quote, center aimed at promoting decarbonization in the Asian region, among others. The financing for this initiative will be sourced from a supplementary budget for the current fiscal year and an annual budget for the following year. Moving on to Africa, the African Union has embarked on a groundbreaking endeavor by launching its very first task force on injuries, mental health, and non-communicable diseases, or NCDs. This initiative underscores the mounting impact of these health challenges across the African continent. Alarmingly, NCDs, injuries, and mental health conditions will likely become the leading causes of death and disability in Africa by 2030. A comprehensive, multi-sectoral approach is essential to tackle these challenges effectively, so the drivers between these conditions will extend beyond healthcare, originating in sectors such as agriculture, trade, education, and transportation. The task force's primary objective is to enhance coordination among diverse stakeholders and concentrate efforts on priority areas, including addressing the commercial determinants of health, reducing road traffic injuries, and combating mental health stigma. This initiative aligns seamlessly with Agenda 2063, the African Union's overarching vision, which aspires to foster an integrated, prosperous, and peaceful Africa. In more news from the African continent, members of the Economic Community of West African State, or ECOWAS, are discussing the creation of a unified telecoms market to eliminate roaming and digital fraud and standardize roaming tariffs among member states. This effort aims to enhance connectivity, reduce costs for users, and facilitate regional integration. Representatives from the West Africa Telecommunications Regulators Assembly, or WATRA, and regulatory authorities from ECOWAS members have been involved in these discussions. In addition to discussing anti-fraud measures and roaming solutions, the meeting recommended exploring the establishment of a single-carrier solution, sharing direct links between mobile operators 
and maintaining a repository of bilateral agreements related to roaming regulation implementation. Benin and Togo have also signed a Memorandum of Understanding enabling free international roaming between the two countries, demonstrating progress toward regional telecom integration. And to close this edition, the International Energy Agency, or IEA, has released its first-ever energy outlook for Latin America, highlighting the region's growing importance in the global transition to cleaner energy. Latin America and the Caribbean are already leading the energy transition, with a significant share of hydropower, solar, wind, and biofuels in the energy mix of many countries in the region. In Latin America, 60% of the energy stems from fossil fuels, lower than the global average of 80%. However, under current policies, the share of renewables in the region's electricity supply will increase from just over 60% today to 80% in 2050. The IEA also emphasized Latin America's potential to produce low-emission fuels and critical minerals, making it a key promoter of the world's energy transition. To meet clean energy and emission reduction goals, financing for renewables in Latin America must double to $150 billion by 2030 and increase fivefold by 2050. And that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. Before we leave, we wanted to thank everyone who has been listening to us and welcome all the new subscribers. We are happy the Rorschach multilateral community is growing. However, we are also sad because we had to cancel our update about Nigeria due to the lack of audience and revenue. So please, if you enjoyed the Rorschach multilateral update, share it with your friends or on social media or message us if you have any ideas on how to keep growing without including ads. Also. If you are feeling super generous today, you can financially support us with the link in the show notes. See you next week.